The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Developers, 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 Welcome to another episode of HTM Tech, brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network, also in association with Microplay in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. We can be found on Facebook and Twitter by searching at the HTM Tech Pod. To listen to the podcast, you can find us on Podbeat, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all those other podcasters out there as well. As always, I am Big Joe. And I'm Mike. All right, another week has come and gone in the world of technology, Mike, and there is uh, quite a bit to, to go on, but I figured to kind of uh, start off the episode, as you heard in our intro, with a little uh, Steve Ballmer remix <coughs> there for you with uh, the developers. I thought we would uh, kind of take a look back in retrospective of this man's time in the technology business here, Mike, with Microsoft, and it's a real mixed bag of some good stuff, some bad stuff, and some craziness. Yeah, I'd agree, Joe. I'll be, to, I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, up until I started doing more research on Steve Ballmer, I, I didn't pay much attention to him. Mm-hmm. I, I knew a few things here and there, and, and I knew the memes, you know, the developers, developers, developers. <laughs> and then I knew he had bought the Clippers, and I, I knew he was a figurehead at Microsoft. Yeah. And I guess it was it was easy just to kind of get down on him. We we talked a little bit. Of, we mentioned him briefly last week when we were talking about Bill Gates um, blaming antitrust on, on the failures of Windows Mobile uh-huh. and how maybe Steve Ballmer may have had something to do with that. And definitely he did. But I, the more I learn about Ballmer, I, I, I'll have to admit, Joe, the more I kind of respect him. Like he did quite a lot in his career and you, and you can't brush that aside. For sure, kind of spearheaded the whole, you know, getting the Surface stuff started, you know, with the the Xbox One. A little bit of uh, some funky stuff there, of course, in our time doing YouTube. We talked about uh, the whole launch of that and really pushing the uh, the Kinect and it went on there. I'm sure that that was, you know, definitely probably had to do with him at some point. But what's really interesting with this whole thing with him, too, if you, if you get a chance to, it's very, very difficult to find, but if you can, if you kind of delve into the internet, you can find this. It's a, it's a movie based on kind of this whole situation, starting with uh, not only with Microsoft and Apple, it's called The Pirates of Silicon Valley. If you get a chance uh, to watch this uh, show, it's kind of the story 
based on what actually happened. It's very interesting. And he had kind of a, an integral uh, role in the beginning of, uh, of Microsoft and their dealings with Apple and getting that whole thing started with both companies. So, Yeah, it was funny. He described it as Gates kind of needed him as the salesman in uh-huh. the early days of Windows. And I think his whole reason was because he was the only one who, had, who knew how to tie a tie. <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing. He, he described himself as a shy kid, but he was valedictorian of high school, went to Harvard. That's where he met Gates. Um, then what happened? So he went to Procter and Gamble for a brief stint, mm-hmm. worked on, um, brownie mixes. Uh, then he decided to go do his MBA dropped out. And that's where he decided to go work with Gates full time. And well, you know, history, history writes itself at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, probably most people will know him famously for you know, the presentations at CES and, and whatnot, coming <laughs> on the stage and just, Getting caught up in the moment, I mean, I think a lot of us in that situation would kind of maybe do something similar, maybe not quite to that same extent, but uh, I mean, you couldn't deny the guy's passion as kind of crazy and as funky as it kind of came off a lot of the time. Okay, what I'm dying to know, this is this question that came across my mind. Maybe let's ask you as an example. Okay. When you see Balmer just just (laughs) doing what he does best, Uh does that detract from your desire to purchase these products or is it more just like the crazy uncle and the products stand for themselves and well just kind of get past his awkwardness it, for me it feels like it falls kind of somewhere in the middle i mean it, it's kind of a kind of a turnoff but you, you got to respect the passion as well right and one of the the, the the stranger things from I can't remember what presentation or and what uh, point in time that this happened, when they they, they played the the kind of music and it came dancing out for the first time, and I think this is the only time I've ever heard somebody say "Give it up for yourself." Yeah, really, he basically said, "Give it up for me." It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> when, when when somebody says that, they say, "You know, give it up for somebody else." I have never in the history of anything heard anybody say, "Give it up for me." The guy, the guy definitely <laughs> likes himself. That, that's that's for sure. <laughs> I think that's gonna be a new a new tagline now. But you know what? He's got he's got a lot to be proud of. Uh, you, you did mention Xbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I mean, he he. You know, okay, there were some failures, and, and it's hard to say whether it was him or Don Matrick mm-hmm. that were, really was responsible for the initial flop of the Xbox One, and obviously Matrick left the company mm-hmm. shortly thereafter. The, yep. the the big flop of that that launch. But you have to remember that. You know, Balmer was in the CEO chair during a lot of the heyday of the Xbox. And it was funny. I was actually watching an interview with Peter Moore, former Mm -hmm. head of Xbox. And he actually credited with Balmer was saving the Xbox 360. Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting. Reason being when the, of course, most people are familiar with the Red Ring of Death fiasco that plagued (laughs) the, the, uh, the Xbox 360 generation. What had happened was, is when Moore found out about this, uh, he realized this was going to be like a $1.15 billion problem. And he was afraid to approach Balmer about this, thinking, okay, this is it. He's going to explode. I'm going to lose my job over this. He said that Balmer calmly and quickly reacted and said, do it. Spend the money. Fix the brand. It's for the future. And Moore, like I said, greatly respects his ability to think on his feet. To, to take charge of the situation. And like I said, just, it just credits him with, with keeping the Xbox brand alive. So you have to give him that much. And with the Xbox One as well, like you had mentioned, the launch of that on the borderline of being a horrible, horrible disaster. But I mean, to this day, it's still, I mean, I have the, the newer version of it. You know, they, not only did they, they keep it, kept, kept it around, 
you know, they, they actually improved on it and kind of did another kind of like a 0.5 update with the Xbox One X. So arguably right now, one of the more powerful consoles on the market. So not only did they kind of absorb what happened there, they actually improved a little bit on it. So again, you got to give them props for that as well. Because they didn't have a hard-headed attitude. You know, once they got all the flack about Xbox One being mm-hmm. the, the whole DRM fiasco with it yep. requiring to be uh, connected to the internet all the time initially and requiring uh, to have the connect in order to being function, they they got raped over the coals for, for those comments and then they reacted and they, they got rid of it. You know, they, they, they didn't sit and sit on their laurels. They, they reacted to what the market was saying and bravo on them. So I think the only problem, like I said last episode, was... The fact that they spent a lot of time on hardware mm-hmm. where they should have been focusing on building franchises. Not to say that they don't have any. Obviously, they've got Halo, they've yep. got Gears, Forza, you name it. But not they didn't put quite the same uh, resources into it as Sony did when people wrote off Sony during the sixth gen- What was it? The seventh generation, which was PS3. Initially, yes. people wrote Sony off. They said, this is the end of Sony when they came out with that $800 <laughs> machine yeah. and... There, there are all the problems with being able to develop for it and the 360 games on the whole, especially the third party games just performed a lot better. Um, but that's the thing. Sony took that moment and said, we're just going to pour our resources into making franchises. Whereas now it seems that Microsoft just kind of tuned into that and started buying up key developers like Obsidian and Ninja Theory. So I'm, I'm hoping that's going to change over time, uh, especially with some of the, the new exclusives that were revealed this week that are coming to Xbox. Right. It's interesting too, going back to the launch of not only the Xbox one and the PlayStation, of course, our friends at South park famously, of course, came, uh, did a storyline kind of interweaving with that too. And, you know, great lines like, you know, the Xbox people don't think with logic and whatnot. And, uh, you know, those Sony, you know, what's can, you know, just, uh, you know, leave it to South park to, to be very topical. And even they did a whole, it was actually a three episode kind of arc that they did on there, uh, of basically the, yes. the, the kids and then of course that launched into stick of truth and whatnot and, and then of course later on the fractured butthole a very clever very very cool play on words there as well so absolutely so going from that to some more xbox stuff here mike a bit of a somewhat kind of a correction and an update kind of, of what we were talking about last week so i mentioned uh, we're talking about the, the service and i, I had uh, called the Xbox Live Gold. The service that you were actually hinting at is Xbox Game Pass, which is the, yes, the subscription to where you pay per month. Yeah, the price has really fluctuated. I mean, they've really kind of teased us, you know, like for like a dollar, you can have it for, for three months. They've really kind of done some wheeling and dealing and trying to bargain to kind of get you in on that. And basically, they have a, a library of approximately 100 games available, and something's kind of come and go as well. So it's one of those things where you get to download. It's not streaming. You're downloading the game and you have access to them as long as they're still up there. And then, of course, recently they they offered a bit of a quote-unquote upgrade to this thing where the Xbox uh, Game Pass Ultimate. But what's interesting with that and something that people need to be aware of, and, and I actually was kind of considering the subscription service, but then kind of decide on and not because I've had Xbox Live Gold for the better part of three-plus years now. If you upgrade to this Ultimate then everything gets switched over to that. And if you ever want to roll back, then you can't. So things kind of get switched to that and say, if then if those games disappear, then you lose the access to them. So it's a bit of a change there. So for me personally, I decided to, to keep it to the old thing. I'm hoping that they still keep it around and not totally abolish it because I mean, I have 
you know, you got to think four games over the span, uh, four games every month for the span of a few years. You know, I have a pretty big library of games going on and then wouldn't want to lose them. So, so hold on. Do you actually get to carry those over to game pass or is it separate? Is it separate? They, they, they carry over, but then I, I would have, I'll have to double check the wordings. I actually you know what for, for next episode, I'll, I'll do a little bit more research, but as far as I know, once you go over to the ultimate, then you can't go back to just the regular Xbox mm-hmm. Live Gold. Everything becomes the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and if you ever want to go back to just having gold, you then you start right from scratch again. So I'll have to do some investigating to see if you actually keep your games or lose them or whatnot. So that, that's actually something for our listeners I'll, I'll double-check on. Right, because I'm, I'm going to ask you a lot of the questions because I've been pretty much Sony-based for the last couple of generations. I never yep. had an Xbox Live subscription. So I guess my question, either if you can answer this now or come back to this next week, is why would you want to go back to Xbox Live Gold? It almost seems to me like Game Pass is the next evolution of that service, but I'm just talking from the inexperienced layman here. Yeah, it's the combination of Gold and the Game Pass, and they just slam them together, and you pay one price. So the, what I'm unclear about is if the, the games on Xbox Live Gold, if... They, if it's all lumped into the Game Pass, do those games still stay around or do they get mm-hmm. kind of phased out as the, the ones that do on Game Pass? So I'll do some research and double yep. check on that because uh, that's where I was kind of unclear. And I was like, okay, you know, do I really want to migrate everything over and then potentially lose all that? So I think, yep. uh, and a lot of people are in that same boat because it, it wasn't really properly explained uh, <laughs> when the whole service started. So, mm-hmm. but I, I do like what I'm hearing, uh, especially knowing on the agenda that it's tied in with the whole X cloud service. I think we briefly talked about that uh, last week. Um, so what do you, what do you think about some of the developments? Should we move on to that next topic now? Yeah, absolutely. With uh, X cloud, <laughs> what's interesting from what I saw about it, cause they did a whole event from uh, London over in the UK. And basically what this is going to be is all of your, now I don't, I'm I'm again I'm unclear if this applies to games that you have a physical copy of and they're installed on, on your Xbox if those apply but as far as I know all the games that you download that are digital you basically have access to on all your devices except of course you know with it being Microsoft of course they they left out you know any Apple devices. So it's unclear if it will work on an iPad or, or an iPhone or a Macintosh. They they left that up very conveniently, being Microsoft, and basically everything but that, it seems like you'll be able to play on it. You'll just say you'll be able to, uh, it's again, I don't know if you're going to be streaming or you're going to be downloading. They didn't get into full details there. I, I think we got some glimpses of what's happening now. First, <clears throat> in what you're saying about uh, being able to use Apple products in conjunction with it. I don't think that's too far off mm-hmm. because we already and it's the uh, XO19 conference you're referring to. Right. They they openly said you can use a DualShock 4 controller with yeah. with this service. So right there, bang, we're seeing more integration between these platforms and uh, and less reliance on proprietary hardware. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see X uh, um, Apple integration into this. The other thing with regards to you pose a good thing there about. Let's say you've bought games on disc, mm-hmm. right? Can you carry them over to Game Pass or X Cloud? I got hints, like they didn't specifically say yes or no, but I, I remember taking notes saying that game saves communities will carry over mm-hmm. to Project Scarlet in conjunction with Game Pass. That's what I that's what I'm really on the edge of my seat to see. Will they actually be able to allow you to rip your games mm-hmm. that you've bought, that you've owned, like I don't know. It's a, it's a good question because then you get into a whole debate about, okay, well, did, if you bought this game used, do you still technically mm. have the rights to be able to rip that game digitally? I, I don't know. Um, I think that 
if, if for, okay, for example, the whole rumor now is that PlayStation is potentially, well, you already know it's going to go backwards compatible, the PS5 with PS4, but now I'm hearing more rumors that maybe PS3, PS2, and one might be in the mix as well. Imagine you can actually go back and rip all those discs and have them stored digitally forever. So you don't have to have the wear and tear on that. That would just, that would just blow my mind right there. That's, that's something, I don't Mm. know if that's asking too much, but uh, wow, that would, that would have me sold day one. Well, it's one of those things where Microsoft, you know, their their record and then uh, is kind of up in the air with this kind of stuff. You know, when the Xbox One originally launched, you know, they there's the whole thing of you know possibly not supporting or not being able to play used games and whatnot. And then they mm-hmm. they did a, they did a 180 on that. And and then I remember too when the the PS4 when they launched, they made it very much a point to be like, hey, we it's gonna play used games. And it was just like just to rub it in, you know. And so yeah, I'll be really curious to see. This is obviously kind of into the same realm as Stadia now. Stadia has actually been released now, and people have kind of got their hands on it. And it seems to be getting kind of mixed reviews. So I don't, I don't think a it's uh, quite going to be the um, the big thing yet, but people are definitely trying, and uh, it's been very mixed reactions so far. It's it's nascent. Uh, you know, I've checked out a few of the reviews for Stadia. Um, obviously, you've got some of the mainstream reviews, which are you know touchy feely. They they kind of critique it a little bit, but overall, there's a lot of hype. But then you get into some of the the YouTubers, uh, like for example, Spawnwave. Uh, who who just there's no BS with him and yeah. he he gets right into it. So let's talk about some of this. Uh, End gadget that was one of the reviews I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there was a video entitled "Playable but Not Perfect." Essentially, they said, and this is you can expect this with the launch of a of a new system that there's mm-hmm. a little bit of latency issues, little bit of lag, some some pixel pixelization here and there, but overall it's playable. Mm-hmm. But that again is very, very a very vague term. How playable and what kind of game you're, what kind of game are you playing? Some games can still function with a little bit of input lag. Others, they're not going to survive, especially when you start getting into competitive esports titles like, for example, Counter, uh, sorry, Overwatch, yep. or even something like that. Um, what, what? So what? What's your? What are you thinking about some of the reviews that you've seen so far? Like I said, it's been very mixed bag. You, you can definitely. Tell just getting outside of the actual reviews themselves, you can definitely see kind of who is kind of being paid by who. Where the positive reviews, as opposed to the very, uh, very, uh, very objective reviews, like you know, Engadget, like The Verge. I uh, always like, especially The Verge. They're one of the main sources that I kind of go to for a lot of stuff because they're very honest. You know, even when it when it comes to Apple, when it comes to Google, when it comes to Microsoft, whatever, it's always very objective and in their opinions of kind of what's going on. And what I've seen so far, um, it's definitely not going to unseat the uh the home consoles just yet does it have potential absolutely but at the end of the day like we had said last week on, on the show without that killer app without that without those features without those exclusives it's put the potential for disaster is there yeah they revealed a few more titles for this this week but again nothing that you can't already play elsewhere yep. granted like i said last week you'll be probably playing these games at the most, the highest possible frame rate and settings, but also depending on how good your internet connection is. And that's another thing yeah. that came up in the end gadget review is that the Stadia, and I put this underlined, can work under certain circumstances. <laughs> and we're talking about yeah. ideal circumstances. And even then, you mentioned a couple of things last week. What if you get throttled? What if there's too much traffic on the network? You are completely reliant on the cloud. Whereas noted by Spawnwave in his review, which was 
let's let's say he pulled no punches on this one. Yeah. He's he's basically already him and actually RGT eighty five who. I think they're friends. They both agree that um, the the X Cloud announcement just destroyed Stadia. Like before, <laughs> yeah. it even I, I don't know if that's too early to make that call. But Joel, honestly, when you look at how X Cloud's going to integrate with Game Pass, yeah, what do you need Stadia for? Like seriously, because think about it. Stadia, Spawnwave made a great point. Stadia is trying to replace the console. XCloud's working alongside of it. Mm-hmm. So you That's still get cool. to download your games, but you can also stream them. So it really depends on what situation you're in. You have choice with Xbox. You can tell PlayStation's going to do something similar. So Stadia is in a unique position there, I think. And things, you know, it kind of made a hint at there, things might not necessarily be optimized because, you know, these developers maybe aren't working that closely with Developers, Google. developers. Yes, developers. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, if we were naming episodes, I think that would almost be kind of the, uh, the name of the episode <laughs> here. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, when, when things are, are kind of developed right alongside the hardware, as we see, you know, with Apple and some of the companies, that that very much works to the benefit and you see the results there as opposed to when the hardware is just made and then things are made for it, that it's not always optimal. Yeah. And uh, did you see some of the pricing that started to come out? I haven't seen the pricing yet. Oh boy. Well, okay. So firstly it was, it was funny. So up until now, basically if you'd ordered the founders pack for stadia, you paid 130 us. I think all you had access to was samurai showdown and destiny Two. this whole time when you're testing it and you were paying to test it. You had to pay $130 to become a beta tester. Whereas xCloud is free. Yeah. 50 games currently in the beta test right now, free of charge, open, ready to test. That is is amazing unto me right there. Like they've already like they've already offered way more games. Mm-hmm. The, the slate of games is fantastic, even including stuff like Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Like it's just yeah. they did a really good job with this, but the pricing, Joe, I, I had to laugh at this. How much is Destiny 2? Is there a price just on Destiny 2? Because uh, about sixty dollars US. And you know what the the really kind of crappy deal with that is? Is do you know how much this game currently costs on Xbox One right now? What twenty bucks? It is a free to play game now. So. <laughs> Okay, I can't. Don't quote me on Destiny Two. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the average AAA game. Okay. Destiny might be free because it was included with the beta test. So I would hope don't so. quote me on that one. Yeah. But the ones I did write down, yeah. and these are the standard editions, mind you. Red Dead Two, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, both clocking at sixty US plus tax, no, which in Canadian is going to be ninety dollars for a streaming only title that's that you good. do. Like, okay, fine, no. you own it, your library. Yeah. But we know Google that they tend to abandon projects when they don't work out very well. <coughs> Google Glass. You pay that, six, ugh, you pay that 60 bucks, <laughs> it's Ether after that. It's yep. gone. You don't own a physical copy. Oh, so again, all these people who talk about a digital-only future, what do you do when the service goes down? How do you play that game again? At least on Xbox, you can still go buy physical copies of all these major games and still yeah. have it. If AAA titles, tell right now, if AAA titles are going to be more expensive than what's on digitally on a home console or physically uh, to buy it on a disc, I, I I don't see this being, I don't see this catching on. I haven't finished, Joe. The special. Oh, but wait, there's more. Games, Assassin's Creed Odyssey at another sixty dollars US. <laughs> My God. A hundred and twenty US for a digital game with a bunch of DLC. Wow. That's specifically tied to your account. That's crazy. That's that's fantastic, isn't that's it? Oh, but idiotic. of course they have they have um, wow reductions 
It's called the Stadia Pro Deal, where, for example, the original Tomb Raider reboot from 2013 is either 20 US or $10 US with your Stadia Pro discount. So okay. even then, that, that game should be free. That game is super old now, and, and even asking $20 US is, is mind-boggling to me when you can go to any store and buy wow. a copy of Tomb Raider for like 10 bucks now. It's, it's ridiculous. It may not look as great as the Stadia version, but come on. Seriously. Yeah, those prices are, are pretty worrisome, actually, for this. <laughs> to be char- to, to have the gall to actually charge more than what a digital is on a home console. I won't say dead in the water, but... You, you, you called it, though. It's, it's going to come to that killer app. Like, they would literally have to announce Half-Life 3 yeah. or something to, to say, oh, my God, we got to go get Stadia now. But I just don't see it happening. The, the, we, we don't hear price. about any developer signing on um, exclu- exclusively with this. They're, they're so new to the game. Sony and Microsoft are so well-established. Give it some time. Like, it's still too early to call. I told you, the the one thing that Stadia has going for it is yeah. the simplicity, right? You're, you're only yeah. buying a Chromecast Ultra. And, and funny about that, too, if you'd bought a Chromecast Ultra, just a regular one, right now, because work. the Stadia just came out today, it can't play it. No. The uh, firmware hasn't come out yet. No. You can only play Stadia today if you actually ordered the Founders Kit. <laughs> So what a yeah. terrible launch. Like, yeah. what, what is that? Now, so you have all these people that are just sitting around <laughs> waiting for this thing to be patched. And as far as I know as well, I mean, it's not going to just be through your TV and your Chromecast Ultra. You'll be able to play on other devices as well, you know, especially if you have the Pixel Line devices. Yes. If you, yes. you know, if you have the Pixel phone, if, you ha- if you're one of the few weird people that has a Pixel Slate, um, that, that's another thing. Again, they've abandoned that. Um, you know, they're, they're basically going to get out of the, the tablet business. So it just... Like you had mentioned there, Google has a lot of things kind of on the go, but like you would mentioned, they're very quick and very abrupt to kind of abandon projects. So I wouldn't want to be in on the Founders Edition at all. I don't know a single person who owns a Google Pixel. I, I don't know a single person. You don't? You have one? I um, I used to have one. Uh, here, I'll pull out the box here uh, for Mike and see. I still have the box. I don't have the device anymore, but I had the Pixel 2 XL. We How might, old is that? We might as well talk about it because... Okay. Uh, it, it was a very, very great phone for about three months. Now, I may have just gotten a bad unit uh, or got a lemon, but this was my personal experience. The, the phone was great for, for three months. It gets all the security updates. It gets all that. We have to hop. But then the problem started to mount. The USB port stopped working. Basically, I had to do I had to charge with just a regular cord because the USB-C cord, for whatever reason, wouldn't charge the device anymore. So that was number one. Then number two, the battery started dying really, really fast. It wouldn't hold on to a charge. Basically, I'd be charging it once, if not twice a day. And then the camera stopped working. Wow. And at that point, I contacted Google, and they essentially said, sorry, you're out of luck. And that's when I went back to good old trusty iPhone. So that was my Pixel experience. And how old is that Pixel now? How many years old? Uh, The Pixel 2 was in 2017, I believe. Which most likely won't even run Stadia. I think you probably have to have. Like no, it a, would. A more, it it would, would actually run Stadia. Yep, it would. And, and that's the thing that they're saying. Like, if you actually do have these I devices, it, it runs pretty seamlessly yep. and it runs equally. Yep. So whether you're playing <laughs> Destiny on your phone, on your laptop, mm-hmm. on your TV, it's going to be a similar experience. But I did mention there is some lag. Like we're yep. still. That's the problem. A lot of reviewers are saying it's a great idea, but it's just too early to go fully digital yet. That's why my argument is that xCloud's got it right where we've got the service. Mm -hmm. It's there to use. You can stream your games, but if you don't have 
quite the right internet situation, you can at least have these games installed on a hard drive and play them natively. So you've got the best of both until we can figure out all these network issues. So when it comes to computers, when it comes to PCs and whatnot, uh, Macs, Windows, and stuff like that, to the best of my knowledge, as long as you can run Chrome, you can run Stadia as well. So it's theoretically, even on an older computer that can still run Chrome, you should still be good as long as your internet connection is good. And then obviously if your device supports a high enough ba- uh, bandwidth for uh, wireless as well. Or if you can connect through gigabit Ethernet, then you're probably better off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... It, Wait and see, I guess. Yeah. But like I said, based on what Microsoft's already announcing at the gate and what yeah. we're hoping to see out of PlayStation in probably February or March, uh, ugh, it's, it's looking it's looking already looking a little sticky. So they, they better get their act together and start spending some of that yeah. Google money and get some some major developers on, on board. Otherwise, this could be a very short ride. So b- briefly before we get to our next topic, Eric, you had mentioned it. Now, I know you're eagerly anticipating the PlayStation 5 because you're a PlayStation guy. Now, I've been... In, I really hope that there's no legitimacy to a lot of these pictures and stuff that I've seen, but like almost everyone that I've pictured that I've seen of this uh, PlayStation Five, it looks ugly. The Gladiator Arena. Yes. The... Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it literally looks like a V. It looks um, ugly. Yeah, that's that's a developer kit. That those are real. Yeah. But the thing to remember, and it's funny. The thing to remember too is that previous iterations of developer kids were totally different oh, yeah. from what the final product was. And I'd say based on the almost unanimous backlash towards these mm-hmm. images, I'd say they definitely, uh, they're definitely going back, at least going back to the drawing boards or, or, or something to that regard. When you really get to the, to the, the nitty gritty of the hardware, of some of these consoles, it gets really interesting. Even going back to the Xbox 360, if you really look at the hardware of that, that thing is basically an old Macintosh in there. It's running a Power PC architecture, which is which is Macintosh. So you see some interesting kind of crossovers in this business. You see Apple using a lot of Samsung kind of stuff. Even a lot of Macintosh screens or LG panels. So these companies, as much as they like to kind of compete and go ahead to each other and piss each other off, they still share and pay royalties to stuff to each other all the time. Of course they do, yeah. because here's the thing: where everything's quickening now, and mm-hmm. it, it, you can live or die very quickly in this industry. And, and I'm sure Sony learned a hard lesson from the P, from the PlayStation Three with that with that terrible what was it the cell architecture? Yes, that was powering it. I yeah, remember that presentation. It had a lot of horsepower yeah. eventually, yeah. but it took a while to get rolling. And there were there was times around 2007 where I thought to myself, is this the end? Yeah. Is this it for PlayStation? Like, is this, <laughs> is, is that, is, is 360 the thing? But like I said, you know, they at least had franchise to fall back on. If it hadn't been that, we might not even be talking about PlayStation today. Mm-hmm. So it's great to see them adopting PC architecture. And especially like we mentioned last episode, the fact that Sony and Microsoft came together yeah. on cloud technology because they realized that competition is what, progresses the industry forward not living your own bubble and trying to monopolize everything um maybe that's where microsoft is finally starting to learn from the error of their ways in terms of their old philosophy of just trying to be the king of the hill and maybe starting to realize that hey we've got some strengths we've got some weaknesses our competitors have the same kind of yin and yang maybe we can kind of all combine forces and 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 really elevate this industry so we'll, we'll see like I said, you see some of these uh, competing companies working together, stealing ideas from each other. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode here with uh, with Apple and, and Microsoft, like I said, if you get a chance to watch that Pirates of Silicon Valley, it's very interesting because guess what? The original Apple operating system and all that kind of run, stolen from Xerox. Wow. 
Microsoft Windows, guess what? Stolen from the original Macintosh. So all that kind of stuff, it all kind of went hand in hand. Those companies, as much as they hate each other, quote unquote, hey, Apple stole their, that, the original idea from somebody else and Gates and uh, company stole from Apple. So That's all it is. An imitation <laughs> the sincerest form of flattery. Yes. All right, so going from that to a follow-up on a, an interesting uh, deal here with self-driving vehicles. And what's very interesting is we we didn't kind of tell each other that we were looking through the same source, but we actually found an article on the exact same site, our friends over at The Verge. Um, there was an unfortunate, well, what I wasn't aware of until I kind of read the article is that this just didn't happen recently. This happened last year, correct? In Arizona. We, we touched upon this briefly last week. Yeah, where there was a, an unfortunate death that was involved, correct? So, yeah, essentially what was happening, a woman was behind the wheel. Um, and in this article, so you can look it up yourselves, this is from yep. today, November 19th. It's called Uber is at fault for fatal self-driving crash, but yep. it's not alone. And that's interesting because they actually found a four-way liability in what happened. So this woman's behind the car, behind the wheel. She's on her phone. And you can actually look this up, but you can see the the horrific footage on, on YouTube mm-hmm. where she smokes this pedestrian that's cr- uh, walking her bicycle across a busy street at night. And then you see her, her just her anguished reaction like a minute before impact where she just realizes, oh, shit, you know, I yeah. should have not been <laughs> a slave to my cell phone in that yeah. particular instance. So, um, so maybe uh, you can carry you can carry the torch here, Joe. But what um, kind of came out of this whole whole decision legally uh just this whole thing is is unfortunate because it brings up uh, an interesting question here because our own rick vickery here in the htm podcast network here was asking about that you know when it comes to stuff like this you know who is liable for all this kind of stuff you know what happens if uh you're in the passenger seat and somebody gets 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 killed you know and and when when things get fully kind of automated here it's a very interesting question because if you're just uh, sitting in say in in the back seat and something happens are you as that passenger liable if you're the only person in the vehicle yeah this whole debate's going to upend the the insurance industry for sure the courts um it was funny i was actually just looking at rick vickery's actual questions Mm -hmm. um Self-driving cars, if the car then commits an infraction, is it or the manufacturer responsible for the charges? If my self-driving mm-hmm. car runs on gas, can I get arrested for being over <laughs> the exhaust or alcohol limit? Yeah. If my electric car hits and kills a school bus full of preschoolers and puppies, could it face the electric chair? <laughs> um, yeah. He's not too far off here no, because uh, what, I, what I'm noticing, I did a lot of research, not only on U.S. Um, law, how, lawmakers, lawyers, how they're looking at this insurance companies, but also from a Canadian perspective. And there's a lot of overlap from, from the Canadian perspective. I think it's kind of like a wait and see of what's going to happen in the U.S. And I think that this article, if you guys want to go read this to The Verge, is going to give you an idea as to what the precedents are going to be. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of questions. There aren't really a lot of hard answers. No. What we know so far is that, for example, Volvo, uh, who was it? The uh, President Hakan Samuelson yeah. announced, this was back in 2015, actually. You can wow. read about this on spectrum.ietriple.org. Why you shouldn't worry about liability for self-driving car accidents. He said that Volvo is going to accept full liability whenever its cars are in autonomous mode. And Google and Mercedes-Benz have actually joined the course saying that, yeah, no liability on the passenger whatsoever. If Mm. the car is functioning automatically, we're taking the brunt of the responsibility. What do you feel about that? I mean, that's good. But, I mean, are there any kind of loopholes or are there any kind of exceptions to the rule? So uh, I would be re- reading the fine print very, very carefully. 
The loophole, Joe, is that your insurance is going to skyrocket and that the price of these cars are going to skyrocket. Because think about it now, because the ins- they're saying that the insurance costs, you're not, once this becomes, wait, I, I think they're predicting by what, 2030, 2040, that we could potentially have nothing but driverless cars on the road. Yeah. I, I, I shudder at that, that future. Uh, but anyway, at that point, if that's actually what happens, we're not going to be buying insurance anymore separately. It's going to be included with the purchase of the car, which means is going to drive up the, right. the cost of purchasing these vehicles, basically driving out of most people's price ranges, which means that cities and corporations are going to own these vehicles. Again, one less thing that you're going to be able to own, one less piece of freedom that you have, right? You're, you're tied again to your municipality, to your state, to these corporations in terms of what you have. And think about it. Like, so if, if the if all the liability, all the onus is on the companies, yeah, it's it's going to be pretty expensive to even own one of these cars. So yeah, you're just you're just a pedestrian. You're just a a, a, a passenger at this point. Because hmm. what I could see too is that just vehicle ownership could just go away, and basically you'll just be insuring yourself as a passenger. Uh, that that's a potential that I could see too, because it essentially will be it, it's mm, going to be like yeah. taking a, it's going to be like taking a taxi. Vehicle ownership will go away, but you'll still be insuring yourself. Like, like say if you get an, an accident to a you know with a you know a driverless vehicle, but you still get injured, you still might want some personal coverage for yourself. Yeah, I hear that. So I think that that could maybe be the the more likely alternative although like you had said you know before we get to that stage we might get to that point where you're saying where we're still paying for those vehicles that we're not even driving anymore so it's a very well, odd kind of thing. argument that was being posted by a lot of these people who are anti ownership of automobile pro autonomous yeah. pro future you know there was the the hippies over the cbc were just loving the fact that we may not even own our own cars anymore because they probably don't even own cars because they're anyway i don't want to get off on that but <laughs> yep. oh my god um what was i saying here um the idea of of not owning cars sorry i lost my train of thought there that's okay um anyway let me let me pivot here for a second i want to kind of go back to the article that we we're reading from the verge about what happened with this whole situation in arizona mm-hmm. last year with this fatal car crash so like i said in the headline the liability was split multiple ways so Here's what actually happened. Uh, the board uh, who was making the decision cited the failure of the Uber self-driving vehicle operator, whose name was Rafaela Vasquez. Um, they actually found out she was watching The Voice on her smartphone, <laughs> and she had spent 34% of her time glancing down at her phone while she was operating this vehicle, mm-hmm. and she only looked up to see this pedestrian about a second before the crash happened. Wow. So usually you get, what, like a 5-10 minute five to 10 second warning before something's happening. Yep. She was just too busy watching her reality TV to, to even notice this happened. So uh, too bad for her. Not even a good um, show, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's what, that's the memory you have of that. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly, the passenger was liable. <laughs> this was the one that blew my mind because yeah. they found methamphetamine in her bloodstream wow. during the autopsy. And I was thinking to myself, <sighs> it's, why the heck is she walking her bicycle across a busy street in the middle of the night. So it, it seemed, it just seemed like the, 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 one of those, um, one of those, like those, those perfect storms of shit where just yeah. <laughs> everything conspired just to go the wrong way. But then of course, Uber, uh, had partial, li- we obviously see that Uber had liability and the ineffective monitoring of vehicle operators. So not being able to babysit 
this this driver and basically mm-hmm. saying, oh, you know, something, you know, better keep your head up and stop looking at your cell phone. Yeah. Um, their inability to address the automation complacency of his safety drivers. Uh, and they even blamed Arizona for having insufficient policies to regulate automated vehicles on its public roads. Wow. So th- <laughs> this is just going yes. to totally upend law and insurance. This is this is going to be huge, and I don't know if it's going to be necessarily for the better. It's definitely a setback for the whole automated driving, you know, stuff. It, it, it's not a good start. Let's just put it that way. It, it, this is going to uh, delay this getting to the mainstream for a good number of years. Not, not oh, just definitely, this, situation, not definitely to, this definitely delayed things a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. So just say, yeah, it's just stumbling out of the gate. For like and one term. thing I want to more add to, like a lot of these these yuppies who are like, oh, well, now I can just, you know, not have to worry about driving. I can spend more time on my laptop, me with my clients. And I'm like, you better have fun on that four hour commute right. because these cars are going to be moving at what, like 30, probably 40 kilometers an hour, obeying every single minutia of rules of the road. It's going to be slower. You think commuting is bad now in major cities? Oh, you just wait till these slow, these self-driving <laughs> cars start taking over, and, and that's where I definitely <laughs> we, we we have to see start seeing like a push for like flying cars or verticality. Who knows? But it, it's not all this rosy picture. I, I do see. Yeah, it's great for the elderly who aren't able to get their licenses anymore. Yeah, people with disabilities. But overall. For the people who are thinking, oh, this is going to free up a lot more time. Oh, yeah, it's going to free up a lot more time inside of your car <laughs> all day. So, so get ready for that. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing inattentive people riding in automated vehicles, and, and then uh, along with them on the road, people on e-scooters going five kilometers an hour, and I just, uh, oh, I, I just, uh, I foresee disaster and just bad stuff when you when you have. Vehicles are automated and out of control with people that are going way too slow. And uh, just, yeah, it's, <laughs> I worry that uh, a lot of people are going to die. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's mind boggling. Um, I don't know what to say. It's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's still in the infancy right now. We're at what, level two yeah. out of five where you still require somebody to be behind, behind the reel. But you, you, you mentioned it, Joe, that people are easily distracted already. Yep. And you know, these, these cars already, it's it. They're saying that they're not tuned to recognize pedestrians crossing the road. And there's just so many other factors at play. They'll have to have some kind of sensor or something to monitor where if, if the, the passenger, whoever's riding in the vehicle, if, if you're not giving the vehicle the attention, then it, it pulls over and shuts the vehicle off. They gotta, you're going to have some kind of fail-safe or something like that in place for people that are just like, oh, since I'm driving in this automated vehicle, I can just look at my phone. And Whereas if, if you're not paying attention or at least maybe having your eyes on kind of what's going on, the vehicle can recognize that and just stops. Yeah, some like retinal recognition, like where some yep. sensor that can tell if your eyes aren't, facing the dashboard or exactly. something like that yep. yep you have like a radar sensor or something like that hmm. kind of like what they do with uh to make a reference to something currently going with the pixel 4 how you can have your phone down and you can kind of wave at it to uh to kind of do stuff and it actually almost kind of recognizes when you're near it they could implement some like kind of technology to maybe help avu- uh, alleviate people being distracted while they uh, are just enjoying the ride i guess how much are you gonna enjoy that ride though when you know that okay I would be kind of stressed out as a passenger, to be honest with you. I, I would be too. <laughs> and here's the other thing too: the data collection, the the privacy issues that are going to come about this because they're already talking about how yeah. insurance companies are going to have to rethink who they hire and how their practices are going to yeah. happen. 
they're going to have to get forensics involved, bulk data collection, because essentially when a, a crash happens or some kind of major accident, they're going to have to collect all this data from inside the car, what was said, what was done, what was happening at the time, more and more surveillance, right? More and more of, of you having to be a good little boy or girl in that car and, and watching what you say and what you do. Cause that can be all be used against you yep. in the worst case scenario. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a definitely a brave new world indeed. For now, I think that I will stick to public transit to get back and forth from home to work and kind of just go from there. Seems to work already. Yes. Yep. And uh, I'm still standing and uh, I haven't lost any, uh, any appendages or anything uh, doing that. So uh, I think we'll just keep that going for now. Is it uh, the wave of the future with the automated vehicles? I'm sure it will be at some point, but we're, I think we're, we're a lot further away from that being the case than people are maybe thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So and just remember, because it, it, I, I eventually see it become an all or nothing scenario. I really truly don't believe that manual cars and self-driving cars can coexist. Mm -hmm. and keep everything safe it's got to be one or the other at some point and obviously it's going to be manual cards that are going to go the way of the dodo and with that our ability to have freedom and drive anywhere we want and that's going to be gone because then we're just tied to the grid and wherever these cars want to take us so if that's what you want (laughs) watch what you wish for yeah because if you do something wrong uh, that vehicle will likely just be programmed to take you right to the police oh my god you bring that up again you're giving me shivers again with this whole idea of being able to hack (laughs) hack vehicles and 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 malfunctions like the yes. more tech here's the thing joe i have a, a 19 honda civic Tradi- the reason i bought it was because i always love the fact that hondas are low maintenance mm-hmm. but now with all these new automated smart quote-unquote smart features i'm finding that i'm at the <laughs> garage more often now oh, boy. so a lot more things can go wrong <sighs> and, and and when you when you're going fully autonomous completely de- depending on technology you just mentioned like do you want to be in the backseat of that car <laughs> like wh- when something yet. goes wrong you can't take control there's no steering <laughs> wheel and you're basically in this little yeah. this little cage Yep, I would be uh, like I said, I'd be very uncomfortable. I'm somebody who likes to drive, and uh, I would just I would feel kind of scared. I would be like driving with that crazy driver who uh, you know lane changes without looking and just uh, goes way too fast and doesn't swerve from potholes and whatnot. So it's gonna be like a new reverse road rage where you're just going too <laughs> slow. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, going from that, before we do our final bite segment for this week, which I think will be pretty interesting here. Tech tip of the week here, and this is a, a pretty, I think, uh, one that uh, is going to help a lot of people who aren't aware of this. And this is just properly charging your your, your devices. And I think especially with with phones, it's not quite uh, as bad as it used to be when uh, these uh, these phones came out with the lithium ion batteries, and where you really had to when you first got it, you know, make sure that you use it all the way to the end and then fully charge it again. That's something that I still recommend to do with all your new devices when you when you first charge it for the first time. But a little tip that I'll give to people to help uh, lengthen your battery life in your device to make it last longer is when you fully charge your device, don't quite fully charge the way maybe go like 90 or 95 percent and then let it go down to say 10 or 5 percent and then charge it back up because what you do with these batteries is they have a limited number of times before they can be fully drained and then fully charged again but by doing this you almost kind of bypass it a little bit but what i don't recommend though is 
if you're using it and then you get down to like 90% and then fully charge it again or just leave it on a charger too long. There's a lot of bad things that you can do with this stuff too where your battery can swell and you can run into some issues. If you have a Samsung Galaxy Note 7, I believe, maybe it could explode in your face. But uh, that's no, it wasn't really uh, a charging issue. That was just a battery issue with that device. But uh, besides the point here, when it comes to battery charging, just when you first get your device fully drain it and then fully charge it but then to kind of maintain and make your device last a little bit longer don't fully quite charge it and don't fully let it die and i've noticed uh with a couple of my older devices now that that really does seem to help yeah one thing you did mention too that's interesting is the whole idea of the full drain full charge you're only actually supposed to do that every three months or so yeah not not all the time what you're saying is absolutely correct and you also mentioned the whole idea of a lot of people like to keep it charging when it's at 100%, just leave it charged. Yep. That's not really helping the life of your battery either no. because it's like a muscle. You actually have to use it to keep it extending over yep. time. And, yep. and especially, you got to watch, don't buy these cheap batteries either because if you overcharge, they mm. may not have fail safes in place where it could actually overheat yep. and, like you're saying, explode. So, And for, especially for Windows uh, laptop users, uh, I had noticed this, especially if you have uh, a battery that is not removable. I know Acer and some of these other brands, they, they kind of seal it in there now. Don't make the mistake that, that I did when I owned one of these devices and just have it be plugged in all the time because eventually your battery just becomes useless. It's just drawing power right from the, your wall to your adapter to your device. And essentially, it's just kind of bypassing the battery and eventually just the battery. It's one of those things where if you don't use it, you lose it. I think it's uh, that's a fair statement to make there with that so if you own a laptop you know either charge it properly like you would like another device or if you're, you're going to leave it plugged in all the time and just don't expect that to be something that you can take on the go it's going to be a home device at that point it was funny too um, I, when i was looking up stuff like this i was actually i saw this video on youtube from bright Sight, the 15 yep. mistakes that shorten the life of your phone <laughs> and one that was really interesting it was actually number two on their list was avoiding software updates and their whole theory <laughs> was they recommend not updating your phone two years after release because your hardware is the same but the apps and the operating systems keep getting more and more intensive putting mm -hmm. a lot more pressure on your battery so you're actually you know, I, you're actually getting, and you, we know this, right? Like what, what, after about two years after owning a phone, it starts to, starts to chug and starts to get yeah. a lot slower. And it's actually, you know, it's actually eating away at your battery's total life. So you know, I, I, I don't know how much of a great tip that is, but it's, it's an interesting <laughs> one nonetheless. And one other one that I'll give with charging before we uh, take a break into our phone light segment. If you're somebody like me and you have a phone that's capable of wireless charging, uh, like Mike can see here, I have a wireless uh, charging unit here. Um, if you're going to, to do that, my recommendation is, again, don't leave it on there for, for too long and leave it in a space that, that is open. Like, don't put it somewhere in a little nook and cranny because there are some, because basically what's happening with this thing is it's charging by induction. It's going basically from a coil to a coil is, is kind of how this works. And that generates heat. So you want to have it in a place that is kind of wide open, not in a tight little space. Otherwise you're going to run into some, some thermal, some heat issues. So another tip there, if you're somebody like me that likes to wirelessly charge their device. And speaking of chargers, avoid buying cheap chargers that may not have a built-in fail-safe to stop from overcharging. You get what you pay for. Yes, absolutely. Good call, good call. Okay, so we're going to take a brief break, Mike, and we're going to come back with the ever uh, the, the, the long-standing kind of debate here. What's the better cell phone for you, an iPhone or an Android device? We'll be right back, guys. 
this is Big Joe from Terminal Talk here, and you're listening to HTM Tech right here on the HTM Podcast Network. All right, guys, Big Joe and Mike back here on HTM Tech. So for our final bite segment, this is an interesting one. It's a, a debate that always happens between people. It's not so much a maybe a debate in this case. Uh, the topic is what's the better platform for you when it comes to cell phone devices, Android or iOS? And I think that it's fair to say I think we're we're past the point of debating and saying one's better over the other because I, I think enough time has gone by that clearly that they're both good platforms. I think it really depends on the type of user and what you're after in a device and if you're already kind of ingrained in each of the oper- or the, the kind of the ecosystems of the, uh, uh, whether it be Android or iOS. Okay, so you're you're an Apple you're an iPhone user. I'm an Android phone user. I have a Galaxy S10. Yep. You have the you have the latest iPhone. I, I have the iPhone 11 for uh, uh, for my 11. my daily cell phone. Yep. All right, Joe. So let's let's do this. Let's defend your device. So what what makes you choose that over the Android? For anybody who has been in the Apple ecosystem, that's the term you always always kind of hear when it comes to this. You know, if you're somebody who has multiple devices in this, and if you have iCloud, if you have a lot of, if you have Apple Music, if you have a lot of TV and stuff, all that going, it's the clear choice for you if you're already in that ecosystem. You know how it works. It works the same across all, all the way across the board now, whether you have an iPhone, whether you have an iPad, whether you have a Mac, even the Mac now, the, the way that it operates is very, very similar to the mobile devices now. It's consistent across the board, and you can pick up where you've left off on the devices depending on how you come and go. It just it, it works very well if you're kind of ingrained in that ecosystem. If you're somebody that's just coming to it out of the blue, maybe not quite the case. Yeah, and I guess uh, on the Android side, I mean, you know, in terms of the Google Suite, which is pretty much how you what, what you what you do across Android platforms, it, it's caught up. It, it does a fairly good job. I don't have too many issues with performance. I, I did at first, but now by the time the Galaxy 10 has come out, I'd say it's a pretty fluid, seamless device. It runs really well. There's very few hiccups with it, so it's def- definitely done a, lot, done a lot of catching up. And you know, you, market share doesn't lie. I mean, when I was actually talking, looking at the statistics, Android basically has had an 80% market share since 2013, and in terms of reviews, it basically topped most of the reviewers less of 2018, where in some cases, iPhones weren't even showing up. So there's definitely been... Like uh, like a, more of a, a neck and neck race where it used to be I'd say a few years ago where Apple iPhones were clearly the leader. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot more equality now in terms of that. What's well, still kind of interesting when you look at this uh, market share comparison, you see you see Android and you see Apple, and there's always that other category. What devices are in that other category that we don't know about? Like, are there still Windows phones? Are there? Or is it? Uh, it's not BlackBerry because BlackBerry runs Android now. Um, Smart choice there, finally. It took them too long to come up with that. But beside the point, what are these other devices? I have no idea what these are. They're dwindling. I mean, <laughs> I, I would love to meet these uh, these Windows yeah. mobile users oh, that, are, that are still out there. I know pe- some people still are desperately cl- cl- yeah. clutching to their Blackberries after, as if they're still a thing. Yep. Um, I, I hear it's it's like the name recognition, like Blackberry. What is Blackberry anymore? I mean, they, they used to be the industry leader. Now they're, they're barely mm. anything now. I, it's... Mm. It's really just two clear-cut choices at this point for me. Like you mentioned, like the like, can you really 
who, who's going to go buy a Google Pixel to, to run Stadia at this at this point? I don't know a single person who, who's actually bought this yeah. device. Oh, other than you, you bought it three years ago. But today, do you, yeah. do you know anybody who's still rocking these devices? Yep. Um, my co-host of Turnbuckle Talk, Carl, he uh, runs. Uh, he still uses a, a Pixel 2 XL. I guarantee you it's not for the, the sake of Stadia. It's for vanilla Android. It's for simplicity of the device, the camera, which is really good if it keeps working for you. And... It, it just you, you can it just it, it's just stock Android without any kind of the BS added on it to, onto it and the Pixel has had a really good camera. Those have been the two kind of main selling points for the Pixel phones: that camera and just stock Android, and you can manipulate it however you want. But they really kind of encourage you to say, you know, this is how Android is supposed to be on a cell phone device. And they say that arguably Google Maps is far superior to Apple Maps. I, I don't know. I can't speak from from experience. So that there's a little back and forth in terms of specific yeah. types of functionality. But for me, Joe, it's it's coming more down to how much money you have to throw at this device because it's still a lot more expensive to get an iPhone than it is to get an Android device. Sure. And you did mention like you get what you pay for. You know, mm -hmm. the, the platform I'd say is still a lot more uniform across Apple devices, is a lot more streamlined, it's a lot more intuitive. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's definitely I would recommend an iPhone for somebody who doesn't like customization, who likes just simple not to say you can't customize it, but no. doesn't want this unnecessary complexity that comes with an Android device that just wants something that you can plug, play that makes sense and, and does its job where mm. I'd say maybe Android could maybe be a little too confusing for some users, possibly. Yeah, some more uh, kind of on the iPhone platform. Even just uh, when you look at the actual hardware itself, I mean, obviously, it's a very nice phone. It's a very premium phone. Obviously, we're, we're paying what people like to term as the Apple tax. Uh, you're paying a bit of a premium. But if you only look at the hardware, like we have mentioned, because Apple makes the software and the hardware in conjunction together, it works very smoothly. I mean, it, it, things scroll very fast. Uh, these devices typically don't have a tremendous amount of RAM, but they still find a way to optimize it to make it very quick. And it, it just it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Since I, I've purchased this phone, I've only had to restart this device with uh, the last couple of updates that have happened. Those are the only times I've had to restart this device. That's something that uh, when, when I've owned an Android device, I found myself restarting my phone quite often. And that's something that just doesn't happen. Oh this. yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. Absolutely. I have to restart quite a bit. Um, yeah. it can, it can overload itself. You know, yeah. that'll just go down for no reason. Sometimes I, cause I have to use my phone quite extensively for my other job, which mm -hmm. is, which is doing, um, courier service. And like there, there have been times right in the middle of service where I have to restart my phone because it starts going all wonky on me. So yeah, there's, there's still a lot to be done here. And, and I think that's what it is, Joe, the fact that you've got this disparity between the hardware manufacturers, the software manufacturers, and they're trying and all these different devices trying to run this one platform. And it, like you said, it can be very hard to make something that's very fluid and seamless. And, and I just, I just think that sometimes even with my galaxy uh, as 10 here, mm -hmm. it's not perfect. I'm not crazy about the layout of where some of the buttons are. They, it's it's almost like they had it right the first time and mm -hmm. then they ended up adding all this extra stuff that they need to be there. Where I always find with iPhones, from what I've seen, it's just, again, very, very simple. And it's, it's elegant and they don't, really try to reinvent the wheel in terms of design too much like they they keep what works and they just keep at it and they don't try to reinvent the wheel as much exactly when it when it comes to cameras 
uh, on these devices. That that is another spot where the the, the gap has really closed quite a bit. You know, on, on a lot of these flagship phones, what I mean by that, I mean, are, are the iPhone devices, the the S10 that you have, you know, the the Pixel, the the, the high end phones with a, a lot kind of going on there. The cameras are are getting on almost kind of a level playing field, and each kind of have their own kind of separate kind of features. But it's getting to the point now where with any of these uh, higher end devices you're going to get a fantastic picture no matter what. So that, oh, yeah, that that's my, that's something that amazing. if you're trying to pick one or the other for, for a camera, you can't really go wrong uh, in any, any other direction. One th- one kind of big current selling point for one of these devices, as we mentioned on a previous episode here, if you buy a new Apple device right now, with the exception of, the, of a newer Apple Watch, that's the one exception, if you buy... Uh, a new iPhone, you get a free year of Apple TV Plus. That that's a pretty good selling point. I mean, it's not a, not a big deal, but I mean, it, it's a pretty good thing. I mean, that's uh, ten bucks times twelve. You do the math. That's about one hundred twenty bucks that you're just getting handed to you. And you know, here, try out the service. You know, there's not a ton of content here, but it, it's free for a year. That, that that's a big selling point, especially going into holidays and whatnot. If they're going to continue that offer, so. Again. Yeah, it makes sense for 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 Google to have yeah. a year of Stadia with their new Pixel. It would just be if they want to compete like that, that that's a no brainer for me. That would be a good idea. So at the end of the day, is there really a, a really a clear cut choice? It's not cut and dry. Uh, really, it really really isn't. If you're somebody who is already, I think if you're somebody who's already in the Apple ecosystem, an iPhone's almost a no brainer. If you're basically anything other than that, an Android phone is really a, you're only um, it's the only other game in town. It's just then a matter of picking your manufacturer, and there's so many to pick from now. We we have uh, BlackBerry, which miraculously has made kind of a resurgence and actually has some good devices. You have Samsung, you have LG, you have the you know, Google's own Pixel phone. Just the list kind of goes on and on. You know, there's all these folding phones on Motorola. Just recently, uh, they're, they're releasing uh, an updated version of the, the Razer phone, which is actually a foldable phone that actually looks kind of interesting. So make sure and, and check that out. If you're somebody who was a, a Motorola Razer user back in the day, they, they've kind of reinvigorated that whole idea. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's basically it's your choice out there. There's no right or wrong answer. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, the, you know, I'll even kind of backtrack. I, I think traditionally it was like a matter of cost. You know, yeah. tr- traditionally iPhones were seen as the more expensive option, but that's not even really the case anymore. I mean, a lot of these Android phones are are catching up in price now too. So, yeah, it's just, I, I think you're right, Joe. It's just whatever, you, whatever camp you've kind of been in, you're not really going to stray too far from it. Yeah, I will just, I will steer clear from buying used phones from sketchy places. Don't buy off of eBay and stuff like that. Just just go to a reputable place and just buy a newer device. Buying used, it, it, it's just a bad idea, even at pawn shops and whatnot. That's one thing I will give people advice on. Don't buy the stuff used unless you can, unless you can avoid it. There really isn't an excuse. I mean, you can get yeah. pretty much close to the latest phone or at least last year's version with any modern cell phone plan. So they're and virtually next to nothing. So, yeah. yeah, just just get it from a reputable source. You don't know where that phone's been or what's been done to it. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Well, I think that about wraps it up for, for this week here. Barring any kind of breaking news, I'm just uh, taking a quick look before we wrap up here. The other, I think the only thing that I kind of saw was uh, – trying to see here I, don't, I remember saw something but I, I can't remember exactly what it was now uh no i think i lost it 
Uh, no, yeah, no, it was. It. I think it was uh, the Uber thing that uh, that we had talked about. Uh, the only other thing that I saw was on the, the Apple TV Plus, which we had mentioned that uh, that morning uh, show, which is one of the exclusives that they have there. I guess has been getting some pretty nasty reviews. People haven't been liking it, but that's okay. I mean, not everything's going to be uh, hit out of the gate. There's some other great shows in there, like I mentioned, C for All Mankind. Um, if you're um, a Charlie Brown fan, like I am, they have a uh, Snoopy and Spacer. It's a very cute show. Very uh, short episodes. It's some fun there. So uh, check that out. Uh, and that's really about all I got. Yeah, just in terms of uh, maybe stuff to kind of think about. Um, I'm hearing murmurs about 6G technology yep. being a thing soon and that they might even be skipping 5G. And uh, uh, maybe for a future episode, I did notice a, an article about a terminally ill scientist with motor neuron disease who transforms into the world's first cyborg by replacing body parts with machinery. Yeah, we'll definitely have to investigate that one. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that's about it, man. So we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up for this week, and we'll see you guys on the next. Thanks for tuning in, guys.